Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of pupillary response found under the neurology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with an introduction to pupillary response. As a basic principle, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system control the pupil. The parasympathetic fibers lead to pupillary constriction or meiosis, and the sympathetic fibers lead to pupillary dilation or medriasis. The sympathetic fibers also control the superior tarsal muscle, which elevates the upper lid, the smooth muscle orbitalis, which prevents eye sinking into the orbit, and facial and neck cutaneous arteries and sweat glands. Now let's discuss meiosis in more detail. When light enters the eye, this activates the retinal ganglion cells that will project axons into the optic nerve. This then goes to the optic chiasm, and then finally to the optic tract, and then reaches the pretectal nucleus. Fibers from the pretectal nucleus project to the Ettinger-Westphal nucleus. The preganglionic parasympathetic fibers exit the Ettinger-Westphal nucleus and synapse in the ciliary ganglion. The postganglionic parasympathetic fibers from the ciliary ganglion innervate the pupillary constrictor muscles, causing uniform bilateral meiosis. Now let's discuss medriasis. Sympathetic fibers from many hypothalamic nuclei descend and reach T1 and T2 spinal cord levels. The preganglionic sympathetic fibers exit the T1 and T2 spinal cord level to join the paravertebral sympathetic chain via the white ramus and synapse to the superior cervical ganglion. The postganglionic sympathetic fibers ascend via the carotid plexus of the internal carotid artery, go through the cavernous sinus, and synapse to the pupillary dilator muscle. Now let's discuss different pupillary defects. Horner syndrome involves impairment in sympathetic pathways to the eye and the face, which results in ptosis, secondary to impaired innervation into the upper lid smooth muscles, meiosis, secondary to impaired innervation into the pupillary dilator muscles, and anhydrosis. Marcus Gunn pupil describes an afferent pupillary defect resulting in the affected eye not being sensitive to light, and there is minimal or absent pupillary constriction of the affected eye to light. A lesion may affect the eye, the retina, or the optic nerve. An afferent pupillary defect can be detected with a swinging flashlight test, which will demonstrate the affected pupil dilating when exposed to the pen light. An Argyle-Robertson pupil is a type of light near dissociation, where the eye does not constrict in response to light as much as it does with accommodation. This is associated with neurosyphilis. An 80s myotonic pupil is a type of light near dissociation where the eye does not constrict in response to light as much as it does with accommodation. This is secondary to degeneration of the ciliary ganglion and the postganglionic parasympathetic neurons. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to pupillary response, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 50-year-old woman with systemic lupus erythematosus presents to your clinic with complaints of left eye pain and reduced vision. She notes that she was in her usual state of health until three days prior to presentation, when she noticed some mild tenderness around her left eye, unrelieved by any pain relievers. This morning when she woke up, she was unable to see out of her left eye and made an appointment to come see you. Other than SLE, her medical history is unremarkable. She has had no additional symptoms other than pain and vision loss. Her vital signs are all within normal limits. 
On exam, she has no vision in her left eye, but 20 over 30 visual acuity in her right eye. When you shine a light in her left eye, there is no response. What response would you expect when you shine a light in her right eye? And the answer choices are, choice one, bilateral medriasis. Choice two, bilateral meiosis. Choice three, meiosis of the right eye only. Choice four, meiosis of the left eye only. Or choice five, medriasis of the left eye. The best answer to this question is choice two, bilateral meiosis. This patient has optic neuritis associated with SLE. However, due to the consensual response of the pupillary light reflex, shining light in the unaffected eye will produce bilateral meiosis. Meiosis, or pupillary constriction, is controlled by the pupillary sphincter. Light signals from the outside world stimulate the optic nerve, which projects to the visual cortex via the lateral geniculate nucleus, but it also sends nerve fibers to the pretectal nucleus. The signals to the pretectal nucleus have bilateral projections, which stimulate the efferent parasympathetic neurons that innervate the pupillary sphincter. In a patient with optic neuritis, the afferent limb of the pupillary light reflex pathway is damaged, and shining light in the affected eye will not produce meiosis. However, due to the bilateral projections of nerves from the Edinger-Westphal nucleus, light shined in the unaffected eye will produce bilateral meiosis. This phenomenon is called a consensual response. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Shining light in the unaffected eye will not produce medriasis in this patient. Choice 3. There will be meiosis of the right eye. However, because the efferent arm of the pupillary light reflex is bilateral, the meiosis will be bilateral and not exclusive to the right eye. Choice 4. There will be meiosis of the left eye. However, because the efferent arm of the pupillary light reflex is bilateral, the meiosis will be bilateral. Choice 5. Although the light source has been moved away from the affected eye, the bilateral parasympathetic innervation of the pupillary light reflex will prevent medriasis in the affected eye. That's all for this review about pupillary response. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.